Please take your message outline now, would you? It's on a beige color. Take your message outline from the bulletin if you would like to take some notes. Our theme, our theme today is prepare yourself for the best year of your life. Amen? Amen. Prepare yourself for the best year of your life. I'm going to share part one with you now in this service, and then part two the following Sunday at the 11 a.m. service. The truths, the truths for preparing ourselves for the best year of our life will come from 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 9 to 18. If you want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. The year was around 66 or 67 A.D., and the Apostle Paul found himself in a cold prison in the city of Rome. How many of you, by the way, have ever traveled to Rome on a cruise or in your travels to Europe? How many of you? That's quite a few, actually, quite a few. Okay. Now, sadly, unfortunately, Paul was facing death. The Apostle Paul was convicted as a follower of Jesus of Nazareth, and he was going to be executed under the rule of Emperor Nero. You might say, how do we know that he was facing death? Well, if you read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8, you'll see that he was aware of what was coming up. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 says, As for me... My life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. So Paul knew that he is facing death. The time of my death is near, he says. In this part of the Holy Bible, which we call 2 Timothy, or the second letter to Timothy, the Apostle Paul wrote his final thoughts to dear Timothy, passing on to him the torch of leadership, reminding him of what was truly important in life, and encouraging him in the faith. That's what Paul does in this part of our Holy Bible. In the last chapter, chapter 4, beginning at verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes some words that I believe can help prepare you and me so that we can truly have the best year of your life, the best year of my life. So please listen now to 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 9, as I read it from the New Living Translation, which is a translation that was done in the 1990s from the original Greek and Hebrew texts. So, 2 Timothy 4, verse 9 says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this world and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. 
I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. Also bring my books and especially my papers. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord, the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be, care, be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So my friends, here now is the first truth which can help prepare you for the best year of your life. The first truth is this. For those of you taking notes, number one, find strength, help, and comfort from your friendships. Amen? This truth came to my mind from verse nine, which says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. I believe that one of the main reasons the Apostle Paul wanted Timothy to see him is because Timothy and Paul had been friends for a long time. At the beginning of the letter, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, he actually refers to him as my dear son. Timothy was not actually his biological son. But he had become so close to him because Paul had mentored him, had taught him the word of the Lord. He had taught him about Christ and he empowered him to do the ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Timothy became very dear to the apostle Paul. Over time, the two of them had really grown in their relationship. Now Paul was all alone in this dark, cold prison in Rome. And uh, here is a little of how Paul felt. Paul felt while in, in jail in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, Paul said, only Luke is with me, the, Luke the doctor. A little later in verse 16 he says, the first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. You begin to sense Paul's loneliness. He was obviously very grateful for the help and the presence and the comfort of Luke, who was also a dear friend and, and a medical doctor. But uh, he was feeling lonely. And by the way, the, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul was not complaining about Luke when in verse 11 he said, only Luke is with me. He's not complaining about Luke. He's just kind of stating the facts that uh, that. Uh, he felt like, really, there's only Luke around these days, all right? Uh, Luke had traveled a lot, by the way, with Paul, and this is the Luke who, who was the doctor that ended up writing the, uh, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts as well, which uh, recounts a large, a large part of the ministry in the first uh, century there, according to Luke's firsthand experience in the early church. Now, no doubt... No doubt, Paul was very grateful for Luke's visits at the prison. 
But the Apostle Paul had a need for some more emotional support through a friend like Timothy. So here's what I want to say that's especially relevant to you and to me. My friend, you are going to experience a lot of wonderful times in this new year. There are going to be marvelous experiences, but you are also going to face some challenging times, as you and I did this past year. In those tough times, in those, in those moments of hardship, reach out, as did the Apostle Paul, to a friend, and preferably to friends, plural. Reach out to a friend for some help, for some strength, for some comfort. Amen? Reach out. What, what, does, uh, what does this also mean in, in terms of us? It means that all of us have to try to invest, invest some time in at least one good friendship, preferably two, three, or four. Make it your goal, make it your ambition to invest in, in at least a few friendships. Our daughter Amy is now grown up with a wonderful husband and a fantastic, marvelous, tremendous, outstanding little boy, just happens to be my grandson, two and a half years old. But I remember, but I remember her first week in junior kindergarten. Cindy, do you remember Amy's first week in junior kindergarten? My wife has a good memory as well, praise the Lord. Anyway, um, at the end of her first week in JK, I said to Amy, I, I said, honey, how did you enjoy kindergarten? And she said, Daddy, I don't like school. I thought, oh, great. <laughs> I said, honey, why not? Daddy likes school. Why not? Why didn't you like school? She said, she said, the kids don't talk to me. I said to her, Amy, do you talk to the other kids? She said, nope. <laughs> well, how come? She said, because, because I'm shy, Dad. I then had a little teaching session with my four-year-old daughter. I said, Amy, next week, every day at school, I want you to go up to another little girl in your class, and I want you to say, hi, my name is Amy. What's your name? So I instructed my daughter to then tell the other child what, what toys Amy liked to play with and to ask the other child what she liked to play with. And, and it was a very interesting time. At the end, at the end of the second week of junior kindergarten, I said, I said, Amy, how did you like junior kindergarten this week, sweetheart? She said, oh, I, I loved school. I loved school this week, Daddy. I, I love school. I said, well, how come? She said, well, I talked, I talked to other children like you told me to, and now I have so many friends at school. I, I like going to see my friends. That was some years ago. 
And I tell you that to say, my friends, whether it was my daughter, daughter at age four in JK, whether it's you teens, teenagers at your age, whether it's you young adults in your 20s and 30s and 40s, young adults even in 50s, amen. <laughs> and those of us who are in the mature adult category, mature but young in mind and young in spirits, Bill Hibbs say, right on, brother. Amen. Amen. I say to you, invest some time and, and energy in at least a few friendships, and you'll find, you'll find some beautiful, what? Read the sign. The strength, help, and comfort from your friendships. Amen? 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 Listen, my friends, my friends, some of you are thinking, well, this is a very simple point, Pastor Nick. I know, but, but if, you, if you and I put this point into practice, it will make such a big difference in your life throughout the whole year. How do I know this? Because I've been pastoring for 35 years and it breaks my heart, it breaks my heart when, I, when I'm meeting with people who say to me, Pastor, I don't have a single family member, I don't have a single friend that I can talk to, I feel like no one cares. And it doesn't have to be that way. Amen? So would you, would you say, Lord, help me. Help me to build and develop at least one good friendship this year, preferably, preferably a few more. So that's truth number one, to help prepare yourself for the best year of your life. Truth number two, truth number two is this. Read it out loud from the big screen with me. Get over people who let you down. Amen? This truth comes from verse 10, which says, let's read it aloud from the big screen together. Together, class. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Or if you happen to have the King James Version, it says, for Demas hath forsaken me. When I used to read it in the King James Version, it always, quite frankly, made me cry. Demas hath forsaken me. It just, oh, I mean, just... Makes you weep, really. Demas let the Apostle Paul down. Demas had been one of Paul's co-workers. What happened? What happened to Demas? We, we don't know for sure. Uh, Dr. William Barclay says, it may be that Demas was swept into the church in a moment of emotion without ever thinking things out. Uh, and then when unpopularity and persecution, the necessity of sacrifice, loneliness, imprisonment came. Perhaps he quit. He quit because he had never bargained for anything like that. It may be that there came to Demas the inevitable weariness of the years. The weariness of the years sometimes have a way of taking our, uh, our ideals away, of lowering our, our standards, of, of accustoming us to defeat. Dr. Barclay then goes on to say, Demas, Demas's trouble may have been quite simple and yet very terrible. It may simply be 
that he loved comfort more than he loved Christ, that he loved the easy way more than he loved the way which led first to a cross and then to the stars. In in verse 10, when Paul says, Demas has deserted me, I was reading another outstanding Bible commentator by the name of Dr. Homer Kent, and he says this, he says, Demas has deserted me. Such a statement does not necessarily imply that Demas had completely forsaken Christ, but he had surely forsaken Paul. That he had forsaken Paul. And that can hurt. Some years ago, I was attending a, a pastor's school in the United States, and one of the instructors was the minister. He was a minister of a very large church in the States, a church of about 7,000 people. He said some things uh, during his teaching time I've never forgotten. Speaking to about uh, about 220 of us pastors, he said this. He said, fellow pastors, sadly, in your ministry there will be people, he said, there will be people who will let you down and desert you. And then he said, there will be people in your churches who all of a sudden, who all of a sudden don't like the music in your church or don't like your excellent preaching or no longer like the color of the carpet and they'll disappear. He said, they'll desert you in your church and, and there's nothing you can really do about it. And he spoke of some people, without giving names of course, he spoke of some people in his own church who had deserted him. And he said, pastors, you have to get over people who let you down or you'll soon get sick and you'll give up. And I thought, wow, wow. I gotta learn some things from this this pastor. Well, my friends, as you look back upon this year, it is possible that someone or several people have let you down. Maybe, maybe your wife or husband has deserted you. I hope not, but it has happened. Perhaps you haven't heard from your son or daughter for a long time, and you wonder, and you wonder if or if he or she has deserted you. It could be that your long, long time friend no longer phones you or no longer drops by your home. As we look into the new year, it is possible that someone is going to let you down. I hope, I hope it doesn't happen But the probability is that many of us will end up saying, Demas has deserted me. Or Demas hath forsaken me. And I want want to say to you, in in order to help you have a happier and more fulfilling new year, make a choice, decide to get over people who let you down in the past, the present and the future. This isn't, a, this isn't a, a, a wonderful, wonderful, super encouraging truth, but it's, it's a truth that sometimes we have to deal with to face reality and in order for you, for me, 
to be able to move forward in the future. Make sense? It makes sense. The truth is, there are some of you here who are still, who are still having a hard time moving forward because you haven't gotten over someone who has let you down in the past. I say to you, put it behind you. Put it behind you and move forward in a positive way in the future. Amen. Amen. I heard some amens. And I know who those amens came from. And, and, and you've been doing good. You've been doing good and getting over the past. Praise the Lord with his help. Amen. There's a third truth that can help prepare you for the best year of your life, and it is this. Read it from the big screen, would you? Be willing to give people a second chance and more. Now this truth came to my mind from verse 11. Read it in unison with me, which says, Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Bring Mark. Now stick with me. You have to know a little bit of the background of Mark to really appreciate why it is so significant that the Apostle Paul says, bring Mark. Here it is. On Paul's first missionary journey, the Apostle Paul had become very disappointed, very upset with Mark, because Mark had left Paul and Barnabas on the first, middle, on the first missionary journey. In the middle of the project, somewhere along the line, he left them. The Bible doesn't tell us why Mark left Paul and Barnabas in the middle of a mission. Perhaps Mark had been homesick, and maybe he was unable to withstand the rigors and the dangers of the missionary journey. We're not sure. At a later date, listen to the severe disagreement that happened as recorded in Acts 15, uh, beginning at verse 36, in, in Acts 15, beginning at verse 36, it says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, this is when Paul was intending a second missionary journey, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. So you got that? Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark. Mark's full name was John Mark. Verse 38, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Now what we discover here is that the Apostle Paul had continued to be so upset with Mark that he absolutely did not allow him to go on the second missionary journey. 
He said, no way. No way, Jose. He's not coming. A period of time passes, and now, as the Apostle Paul lies in a Roman prison, he says to Timothy, he says, bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. What? 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 He didn't want Mark before. Now he says, bring Mark, because he will be helpful to me. Wow. Wow. The commentator in the New Living Translation Life Application Study Bible beautifully says this. He says, somewhere along the line, Paul had given Mark a second chance. Paul had given Mark a second chance, and Mark had proven to be a worthy helper. We don't have all the details in Mark's changed life or Paul's change of heart, but Paul realized that people can change. Paul realized that people can change. And there's a lesson. There's a lesson in these few words. We should allow people to grow up and not hold them back from ministry or leadership for faults in the past that have now been corrected. You got that? When we encourage someone and open our minds to the possibility that he or she has changed and matured, we may be salvaging a significant ministry. This is one of the reasons why you have seen me over the years, over these 35 years, it's one of the reasons why you have seen me show a lot of confidence and support for, for many of our young people across the years. Mark went on not only to be Paul's good friend and a trusted leader, but Mark went on to, in fact, write the gospel of Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in the Bible, he wrote Mark, one of the gospels. And I say to us, as the apostle Paul gave Mark a second chance, is there someone in your life, is there someone in your life even now that you need to give a second chance to, or even a third chance, or more, as we start this new year? As we move into this next year, you will find yourself to be a happier person if you give a second or third chance to various people in your life. In doing so, you will be practicing Colossians 3.13 which says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Amen? Amen. There's a fourth truth that is very important in helping you to prepare yourself for the best year of your life. And the fourth truth is this. Cherish the Holy Bible. Cherish the Holy Bible. This comes from verse 13 where, where we read as follows. Read it with me from the big screen. When you, Timothy, come... Be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. Also bring my books and especially my papers. That's the New Living Translation. 
The New International Version translation says, read it with me, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. The scrolls in that first century were made of papyrus and the parchments were made of the skins of animals on which they wrote. And the bottom line, the bottom line is Paul, Paul was primarily asking for portions of the Old Testament that he had and for the papyrus rolls which contained the earliest forms of the Gospels. Paul might also have been requesting his legal documents, especially his certificate of Roman citizenship, but I believe, but I believe it was the word of God which Paul wanted most of all when he lay in prison awaiting death. I believe he was especially asking, asking Timothy to bring the word of God as they had it at that point in time. One Bible scholar says this, he says, when they were up against it, when they were up against it and the chill breath of death was on them, the great ones, the great ones referring to people like Paul, the great ones wanted more than anything else the word of God to put strength and courage into their souls. My friends, I challenge you, I challenge you to want more than anything else uh, this year. I want to challenge you to want more than anything else the Lord and the Word of God, which we call the Holy Bible. The Holy Bible, amen? Throughout this year, cherish the Holy Word of God. Cherish the Holy Bible because, because, for those of you making notes, because A, the Bible is God-inspired. God-inspired. Read 2 Timothy 3.16 with me. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Amen? Amen? Cherish the Holy Bible also because B, the Bible is powerful. Hebrews 4.12 says, in unison, for the word of God is alive and powerful. Say it again. The word of God is alive and powerful. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, cherish the Holy Bible also. Point C, because the Bible guides us as to how to live. The Bible guides us how to live. Read it with me. Psalm 109 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. And James 1.22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Amen. Make it your decision, my friends, to not only listen and read, but to do. It is one thing to read, but it's another thing to do what it says. We have to be obedient to the Word of God. Cherish the Holy Bible also because, point D, the Bible tells us how we can be, be saved from the consequences of our sins. How we can be saved Yes, referring to Jesus, Acts 4.12 says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given us no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. 
And Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And so the question is this, are you saved? Are you saved? Here is how. Here is how you can be saved. A is for ask. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Ask him just simply and sincerely. B is for believe. Believe Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. And C is for commit. Commit your life totally to Jesus. A, B, C. That's what you and I have to do. You can be saved. Are you saved? I ask you to bow your head with me now. And if this prayer expresses the desire of your heart, would you pray it with me right where you are, please? As our pianist plays, would you pray this prayer? Some of you have prayed this prayer many years ago or very recently. But for some of you, this might be the very first time you're praying this kind of a prayer. So precious on this New Year's Eve. Dear Lord, I thank you for loving me. And Lord, I want to prepare myself to have the best year of my life ever. And I want to start by knowing that I am saved. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. Forgive me, dear Lord. Forgive me. Lord, I believe that Jesus, your son, died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. I believe Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. And Lord, I commit my life totally to Jesus. I commit my life to you, O oh Lord. All that I am, I give to you. Take my life. Make me, Lord, and mold me into the person you want me to be. Let it be so. And as I prepare for this new year, I thank you for the ways in which you're going to help me to make the best year of my life. Hallelujah. And now, Lord, I want to celebrate my, my faith. I want to celebrate my faith with all these other people, beautiful people in Rosewood Church of the Nazarene. I celebrate my faith, Lord, through the Lord's Supper. I celebrate my faith and trust in Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.